Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. What's up, guys? You are probably used to hearing a very different introduction. This is, as I mentioned on Monday's podcast, uh, this is not your normal weekly Rebel Report, obviously. This is a golf-related podcast. The Sanderson Farms Championship is this week. That is Jackson, Mississippi's PGA Tour Stop. It is at the Country Club of Jackson. I'm sure most of you tuning into this probably know that. But that means Super Talk will be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll be doing the radio show there. Come out and see us. Say hello. Yell at me. Whatever you want to do. But that means Super Talk is letting me pretend to be a golf analyst slash writer this week. So I'm pretty pumped about that. I like golf. I enjoy writing about golf. Um, I enjoy podcasting about golf. So we're going to drop a couple podcasts the next couple of days. Uh, so hopefully like throughout the week I'll have a player or two on. Today we'll ha- we have Will Bardwell, who I'll reintroduce in a minute as we welcome him on. But Will is a Jackson, Mississippi-based lawyer. He is a golf nut in every sense of the word. He's an incredible, incredibly entertaining and insightful follow on social media. He loves golf. He is the author of the Lying Forward Golf Blog, which is not your typical golf blog. It is thought-provoking, insightful. I am not just blowing smoke with that. He is uh, he is really good writer. He is really talented at it. It is a Mississippi golf, primarily based, really southeast golf type of blog. He finds really insightful stories. Um, I learn something every time I I go to his website. I get the newsletter and an email as well. You should sign up. It's free. He'll tell you how to do all of that in a second. But this is the first of a couple podcasts we'll drop this week. I hope you guys will enjoy it. If you like golf, if you like kind of the Mississippi angle on things, we'll get into that some. We got into how the Sanderson Farms has grown into the standalone tournament that it is today, how it's progressed over the years, the field, why it's kind of a hotbed for guys just coming off the Corn Ferry Tour to establish themselves, and what is Country Club of Jackson's greatest defense as a golf course. Really insightful stuff. Uh, Will definitely carried this thing. He is a uh, he is a golf nut, as I said a second ago. Um, he I learned a lot just talking to him. I had a blast doing it. So I think you'll enjoy this. Without further ado, here is Will Bardwell. All right, and we now welcome on Will Bardwell. He is the author, owner, publisher, father of the Lying Four blog, uh, a golf blog that I think was started about a year ago. Maybe it's longer than that. I don't know. I've really enjoyed it. I get the email and a newsletter. It is free. If you like golf, if you like Mississippi golf in particular, it is a uh, it is a must-read. It is really, really insightful stuff. So I guess that's a good good place to start. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Brian. And uh, first of all, I've never really thought about what my job title is with flying for, but I'm going to go with father from now on because I, I do do most of the work at about 4 in the morning, and it is sort of like keeping an infant alive at times. Uh, so I'm I'm just going to go with father. <laughs> okay, so that's that's a really good place to start. So tell, I kind of think I have a general idea of like when you started it, but how did that come about? What did what exactly made you want to start it, and kind of when did the idea come about? Well, earlier this year, actually, I guess it's been six, maybe seven months. Um, although the the idea of doing something like that, in hindsight, has been floating around in my head longer than that. Uh, I went to law school 
gosh, I think I started in 2005. Uh, but before that, I worked for a couple of years as a sports recorder for the Meridian Star. And even though I have never regretted going to law school, uh, I did miss that storytelling element that sports reporting offers. And as I sort of became more of a fuddy-duddy, middle-aged golf fan, uh, I really wanted to read those sort of long-form golf pieces that don't get written anymore. And uh, I guess I just complained about it enough times that my wife said, you know, look, you just ought to start doing this yourself. And so that's where Line 4 came from. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's sort of an outlet to uh, be able to pick up the phone and call people that uh, I think have interesting stories and, uh, and write about them. I really, not that I had like low expectations or any expectations at all when, I, I can't remember how I, I necessarily kind of got tipped off on your blog, but a lot of times when, particularly when you see golf blogs, like it's sometimes sporadic because people are doing it as a second hobby and like you, like you never really know how much depth you're going to get, but everything I read on there is incredibly in depth and thought provoking. And it's like whatever you're writing about, at least a lot of the time, I kind of knew it existed or knew about it, but didn't know like any, like one iota of the details that went into whatever story or course you're writing about. This is a terrible question, but how do you keep like finding stuff to write about? Like it's as far as Mississippi golf goes. You know, I, I think this is a reflection of two things. Number one, uh, how tough the past 20 years or so has been on sports journalism and, you know, the, the golf component of that in particular. But also just how good we have it in the Deep South when it comes to golf. Uh, you know, there's, there are a lot of stories out there. There are a lot of really interesting places out there. And... You know, the stories, it, they're not being not told because of negligence. It's just that the landscape for telling those stories has changed so much over the past 20 years uh, that, you know, you don't have golf writers on newspaper staff anymore. And 40 years ago, this sort of stuff would have been in the newspaper a few times a week. Uh, it's just not anymore. So uh, I guess it's sort of a natural progression. It's it's being told online everywhere now, and you know, so I guess if line four fits into any puzzle, uh, it's just sort of a, a local piece of that puzzle. Has the feedback gone about how you expected, or has it gone beyond your expectations? Because it's like I even like look around to whether it's Rick Cleveland or other people. Just I see like on a Twitter feed or something else, I see your stuff shared. And so, like, has, has the response to it been beyond what you thought? Absolutely, it has been. I, I have, you know, in the beginning, I sort of worried that this was going to be just an exercise in me sort of logging into the void. And I was perfectly fine with that. Uh, you know, the, the point of this blog is not to make money or anything. It really is just a, a sort of a creative outlet. Uh, but... The feedback I've gotten has been really, really encouraging. And the, the thing that's been most encouraging, you know, sort of taking the bigger view, is that the stuff that I have worked on the hardest, you know, the long-form pieces that I started the blog to have an excuse to write, those are the things that not only have gotten 
the best feedback, but if you look behind the curtain and check out the, the site's analytics, those are the, the pieces of content that have performed the best. And so I, I do think there is still room for that in the sports journalism landscape. And not only is there room for that, but there's a demand for it. Yeah, I would agree with all of that because it's like one of those things where like, yeah, like you're writing just because you enjoy it, but it's also easier to, I guess, get motivated if like, you know, people are reading it and people are interested in it. And with all that being said, obviously I, I could think of a few better people to have on for this podcast because Super Talk is doing a couple radio shows at the golf tournament, so they they basically wanted me to be like the golf writer analyst guy this week. So that's going to be fun to pretend. I think what I need to do is like have my hair go partially gray, talk about why some guy's swing plane can't win this week, and then criticize Brooks <laughs> Kepka, and I'll have the stick down. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think I've got it partially down, but I'm excited to pretend to be a golf writer this week. So. Obviously, we have the Sanderson Farms Championship, and I believe earlier this week in something you wrote, you called it the quirkiest stop on tour. I agree with you. Why did you call it that? Well, a few reasons, a couple of which are obvious. I mean, and, and I, first of all, I love the Sanderson Farms Championship. It's one of my favorite weeks on the golf calendar, and not just because it's my hometown event. Um, I mean, you can't swing a golf club without hitting a piece of merchandise that has a chicken on it. <laughs> you know, the, the trophy that they give away to the winner at the end of the week is a chicken, for God's sake. Uh, and the field, like, beyond just the, the sort of oddity of uh, the obsession with chicken, um, the field is sort of like, if you're a hardcore golf fan, it's a, it's a field you can really get into every you know, there are a lot of guys coming right off the, what is now the Corn Ferry Tour uh, who are fighting tooth and nail uh, to uh, jockey for position before the first reshuffle. And you've also got some old faces that you haven't seen in a long time. You know, guys who are in their 40s, uh, kind of, you know, not playing full schedules anymore, but taking their starts where they can get them. And you know, so there, there are a lot of guys out there that probably mainstream golf fans don't recognize. But if you're like a hardcore golf nut, this is your tournament. Yeah, and I would, I would as it's kind of gotten bigger, which is what I kind of wanted to get into in a second. Is like this year it's a standalone. The purse is much bigger. I think it, what the winner gets one point one eight something something along those lines. So you talk about the the mainstream guys you maybe not necessarily heard of. You're starting to see a little bit more of that trickle in there, right? I think there's three top 50 players, where uh, Brant Snedeker, Cam Smith, and I think one more. So as this thing's gotten bigger and you're not opposite of the event in Asia anymore, I, it, it, you're starting to see, I guess this is kind of the first year that's happened, you're starting to see kind of a little bit of the more of the mainstream trickle into this tournament. Would you agree with that? Absolutely you are. You know, in January, when they announced the larger purse and the move to a standalone date, uh, I don't think anybody would have begrudged the tournament's organizers for, you know, building the tournament in a way that, that will be more attractive to, you know, top 50 players. 
On the other hand, the first question I had, it's something I've been sort of grappling with all year and I've written about it, is like, how does the Sanderson Farms Championship thread this needle, right? You know, how, how does the Sanderson make itself more attractive to the sorts of players who have names that people recognize, while at the same time not precluding younger players and rookies that have been sort of central to the tournament's identity, not keeping them out of the field. Uh, now, to the tournament's credit, I think they've threaded the needle this year. You know, you look at the field, and there are – actually, I was looking at it last night. I think there are five top 50 players now. Uh, wow. Now that Joaquin Neiman has just barely snuck into the top 50 after winning the Green Bar last week. Uh, and, you know, a few of those are uh, – are names that you don't have to be a hardcore golf nut to recognize. You know, I think most people know who Brent Snedeker is. Um, on the other hand, you know, there there's still a ton of guys who've been on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, and so if you are that sort of golf sicko like I am, there are going to be a lot of young players you can go follow this week um, and get your first look at them. Now, this is going to be sort of an ongoing thing for them. You know, I'm sure that they would tell you they're happy with having five top 50 players in the field this year, but that going forward, they'd like to continue to see that number go up. So this is going to be an ongoing struggle for them, trying to have their cake and eat it too. But, you know, all we have at this point to, to grade them on is what they've done this year, and they didn't appear to have struck that balance. That's what's interesting to me about it is, like, I've been, I grew up going to this tournament – and it's come a long way from the days where it was a fall series event at Annandale, and then you had it for those couple years opposite of the British in July, where there was just deathly hot. But it's more it's it, it's it's so much more intriguing now for obvious reasons, like the strength of the field. Because I remember just back when I was a kid, like it was opposite of this the British Open, and you're looking around like looking for notable guys, and you're like, oh, there's Eric Axley, he was on that stack and tilt commercial, and then like, oh, there's John Daly, he made it through 18 holes without a cart. But, like, other than that, there, there wasn't a whole lot of just, like, oomph or star power to it. And now, like you said, they're threading that needle perfectly. And then also, like, and this is probably not necessarily unique to this tournament, but, like, the local Mississippi flavor, like the Davis Rileys, the Braden Thornberries. A couple years ago, I think you had Chad Ramey get up in contention at least for a little bit. Like, there's a couple local guys that are... You know, varying degrees of status on professional tours, or if you're like Thornberry trying to cut their teeth and and gain full time corn fairy status, and so you kind of have that local element too. With that being said, who do you kind of? It's so this is such a subjective question, and, and like as far as golf goes, it's such a crapshoot. But like, who do you kind of like this week as far as contention? You know, I was thinking about that yesterday, and the guy I keep coming back to. And, and I want to preface this by saying that, like, it's impossible to pick winners in golf anyway, uh, at least when Brooks Kepp is not in the field. <laughs> and um, it, it's it's particularly hard when you have a field that has this many rookies in it because, you know, as Joaquin Neiman proved at the Greenbrier last week, there are a lot of guys out there who are brand new to the PGA Tour who are perfectly capable of winning it's just that they're all unknown commodities right now. 
Having said that, if you put a gun to my head and make me pick somebody this week, I think I'd be picking Robbie Shelton. Uh, Shelton is, you know, just off the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, he played college golf at Alabama. He was an All-American. Uh, he had a couple of years in the wilderness after he turned pro. You know, everybody looked at him when he turned pro and thought he was going to be the next big thing, uh, and he struggled. He was, at one point, uh, playing down on the Swing Thought Tour, uh, which was just a you know, sort of mini-tour. But he won on the Swing Thought Tour, and he, he played in Canada, played really, really well on the McKenzie Tour there, uh, went back to the Web Tour last year, and nearly got a battlefield promotion. You know, if you win three times the same season on the Corn Ferry Tour, you just they just promote you to the PGA Tour because you're you're wasting your time on the developmental tour at that point. And he nearly got that, but he finished with two wins last year and a bunch of other top five finishes. He's kind of a streaky player. Uh, beginning of last year on what is now the Corn Ferry Tour, he started off kind of cold. Then he got really, really hot middle of the year, cooled off a little bit toward the end of the season, but played really well last week at the Greenbrier. And so I, I would not be shocked at all if this is the beginning of another run that he's going to go on. In your mind, you wrote a piece on August 19th about the Sanderson Farms kind of shedding old questions for new ones. And... Just from your vantage point and following it, like if this tournament has obviously grown. This past year where they announced the increased purse and all of that, standalone event was a huge deal for it. Other than like the cliche, like it's a well-run event that people like going to, why do you think this has grown? Well, they've been very purposeful about sort of leaning into their identity. You know, they they don't want to be the Masters. You know they understand that you know they're not going to they're not going to be the players' championship. They're never going to get all the top fifty players in the world, but they can be a really terrific fall series event. And so they're they're sort of leaning into that. They're they're very good about taking care of their players while they're there, making sure they have a good time. And I. My guess is what you're going to see over the next few years is that the number of players in this field who are top 50 players in the world is going to slowly start to increase as folks like Ches Reeve and Cameron Smith and France Snedeker, uh, as they you know, spread by word of mouth uh, what a good experience they've had in Jackson. Uh, my guess is you're going to start to see more players of that caliber start to trickle into this event. As far as the golf course goes, it's it's usually, at least it seems like, it's usually somewhere in the you know 17 to 21 under range, which is about right for a tour event as kind of this caliber in the pecking order or how, whatever you want to use to, to dub it. it. Jackson Country Club's interesting to me because that's the course I grew up playing and it's like it's really only defense is the greens and like that they're a little bit difficult they're elevated most all of them are shaved off to the side what about this golf course from your vantage point 
provides a challenge for these guys because I know they've tried to make it longer. They added a new tee box on 18. They bat- The first par 3, number 3, they backed it way the hell up. Like, they're trying to make it longer, but, like, what do you think provides a challenge for these guys? Because there's not a ton of water. There's literally no out-of-bounds unless you, like, I'm left-handed, unless you shank one on 10 or maybe, like, I guess go way out on 14. Like, what what exactly makes this difficult for guys to not completely tear this up like it's a web tour or a corn ferry tour event? You know, it's interesting that you asked that. I had a conversation with Stanley Reedy, who's the uh, superintendent at Country Club of Jackson, not long ago. And I, I said to him, look, last year Cameron Camp won at, uh, at the Sanderson, and everybody knows how far he hits the ball. I think he broke that, a, Ryan Armour. I, I think he broke a driver, right, before like the final round. I think he cracked yeah. a driver on the range. He was swinging so hard. Yeah, he's, he's a murderer. <laughs> but then you had Ryan Armour the year before that, and Ryan Armour's one of the shortest guys on tour. And so I asked Stanley, like, what is it about this golf course that allows guys with such varying styles to be competitive and he pointed to the same thing you did which you the greens he said you know they're not they're not tripped out but they do have very pronounced shells to them and you've got to hit the right shelf in order to score on those greens and so i think the thing that that allows a lot of different types of players to compete in this tournament is the fact that accuracy out of the fairway is rewarded more than distance off the tee. And, you know, certainly if you can drive the ball 325 yards and keep it in the fairway, certainly you're going to have a leg up. Uh, But if you're somebody who only hits it, you know, 270, 280, as long as you're keeping it in the fairway, and you're playing well out of the fairway, uh, you're going to have a chance. I think for casual golf fans, one thing that people don't necessarily realize is until, like, they see, like, people that watch the majors or the playoff events or the Ryder Cup, whatever you want, where you're kind of casually tuning in and out of golf, you see the Brant Snedekers of the world or Phil or, you know, the, the, the private jet crew and all that. But I don't think a lot of people realize how hard it is to gain not just status, but like estab- become an established tour pro. And I would argue, you mentioned Robbie Shelton being, quote, lost in the wilderness for a couple of years. I think a lot of that now, like it's a lot easier to kind of mull around and get lost in the wilderness a bit since they restructured the Q school and there's no direct path to the tour. And so for a guy like Braden Thornberry, who I didn't tell you, you'll be sharing this podcast with, um, is playing in this event this week as he trying to kind of garner full corn fairy status and all that. Just in your, you could probably describe this better than I could. How just how difficult is it for guys coming out of college now to kind of get to the PGA Tour quickly and stay there? I think it's at once sort of easier and harder than it used to be because if you're if you're a top guy coming out of college. You're probably going to have a place to play, you know, the, the Corn Ferry Tour. You're not at the mercy of Q School like you would have been 20 years ago. On the other hand, the, the Corn Ferry Tour is ridiculously talented. Like, I don't think casual golf fans appreciate just how difficult it is to 
compete on that tour yeah. and wind up in the top 25 at the end of the year to, to get your tour card. Uh, so, you know, when you point to a guy like Braden Thornberry, who's, by the way, who's played really well at uh, at the PGA Tour level, you know, uh, and I I suspect he'll, he'll do pretty well this weekend, too. Uh, but there are so many other guys on the Corn Ferry Tour who are also really, really great that unless you are just striping it week to week, it is easy to get lost in the shuffle. Um, now, I, I think Thornberry is probably going to have a much better season coming up, and uh, you know he's, he's going to have a great career in front of him. But I, I think he probably would be the first one to tell you that you know this, this route that he is forced into right now of having to you know, play through the Corn Ferry Tour, that that's hard because he's not the only guy down there who's really good at golf. Yeah, and you have to make a, a – what's interesting to me about the Corn Ferry Tour is a lot of those courses, not that they're, like, souped up, but, like, they're some of them are shorter distances. And you talk about how ridiculously talented it is. In order to contend on that tour, you have to make a ton of birdies on a weekly basis. Like, you're talking, what, 25, 26 under sometimes. And so you got to putt it well. you got to drive it well. Like, to compete week in on week out on that is difficult in its own right. And then another thing I found interesting is last year, playing in the Pro-Am here for this the Corn Ferry Tour that, event that lasted a year here up in Oxford, we got paired with Sung J.M., who was the uh, money leader on the uh, web tour last year. And... We were asking his caddy, like, okay, he's locked up his card. Why, why is he still playing every week? And he's like, well, it's kind of an it's kind of an illusion in some senses to where two through twenty five, you're subject to the reshuffle, which for me is incredibly difficult to explain. But basically, you're only guaranteed a handful of starts, even if you get your PGA Tour card. Like a tour card is very much member, like just a card that's basically like, hey, I have membership on this tour however limited it is, but the number one overall slot on the Corn Ferry Tour, I believe, is completely like free of the reshuffle. And so you mentioned the guys that are fresh off the Corn Ferry Tour fighting tooth and nail to try to kind of gain ground before the first reshuffle hits. Just for like people listening, kind of explain what that is and just how difficult it is, even if you have PGA Tour status, to kind of get into events. Yeah, so... Everybody on the PGA Tour has a certain level of priority. Um, just because you have your tour card doesn't mean that you can just sort of roll up to the gates uh, any given week and uh, and say, "Hey, I'm going to play this week." Uh, because you know, if there if there are 156 spots available in the field, uh, there are more than 156 guys who would like to play. So this. What the guys uh, who just came in off the Corn Ferry Tour are fighting right now is to establish themselves before what's referred to as the reshuffle. And that, I forget when the first reshuffle actually happened. It's after the fall events, I think. Uh, but that is the moment where players' priority going into the spring will be reestablished. And it's based on how well you played in these first several fall schedule events. And so, you know, on its face, like the Sanderson Farms Championship, and, and this is one of the things I love about this tournament and this time of year on the golf schedule. Like on its face, 
yeah, it's a it's a little bitty tournament, right? Nobody's gonna uh, nobody's gonna sweat over the Sanderson Farms Championship the way they do over the Masters or something like that. But for a lot of these guys who have just come in off the Corn Ferry Tour, you know, they've already been through hell, and now they've got to gear back up and play a couple of months of really great golf so that they can survive the reshuffle and establish priority to play spring events or else they're, they're basically just sitting at home staring at their tour card, which, you know, at that point is, it's not worthless, but it's also not getting them into any events. Yeah. So that's it. I really, that's what I enjoy about it as well is like you say, like nobody's going to sweat it over like the masters, but to your point, a lot of these guys coming off the corn ferry tour, like this kind of is their masters with regards to kind of getting a leg up and, and establishing themselves and kind of get, finding their footing on the PGA tour. And so it's interesting to me because you have all these young guys and it's kind of like their first couple events. And I imagine on top of just trying to get like status, you know, kind of prioritizing the reshuffle and all that, it's probably a bit of a whirlwind to the fact that they're actually playing on tour. Like, just in their first couple of events, it's it's probably a bit of a, I guess, culture shock. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but, like, just everything that comes with being a PGA Tour pro because life on the Corn Ferry Tour and life on the PGA Tour are so drastically different. Totally. And if you're coming in off the Corn Ferry, like, job number one is job security you know it, it, you can worry about you know putting on a green jacket some other time but uh, if, if you can't establish your own job security then you know nothing else really matters and so at the same moment these guys are, are trying to do just that and sort of get a foot in the door on the upcoming PGA Tour schedule they are wrestling against but I you called it a, a culture shock. I think that's probably a good way to put it. You know, I talked to uh, Hank Leviota recently, who uh, is just starting his second season on the PGA Tour. Uh, he was a real good golfer from uh, Florida State before that. And uh, Hank, by his own admission, got off to a really slow start in the fall of 2018, at the beginning of his rookie season. And he described showing up at... Uh, the Safeway out in Napa uh, that he he met Brant Snedeker out there and was just completely starstruck by Brant Snedeker and like to you and me that probably sounds funny uh, because I mean Brant Snedeker is like he's not someone you and I would call one of the superstars of the game <laughs> but if you're, you know, I guess Leviota would have been 24 at the time. Uh, if you're somebody like that, you're showing up at your first PGA Tour event, and all of a sudden you're, like, warming up on the range, uh, a stone's throw from a guy who's played in the Ryder Cup and, and won the Tour Championship, like, yeah, that's probably scary as hell. And, uh, you know, you, but you've got to try to put that out of your mind and just play your game uh, while knowing at the same time there's a pretty tight window of opportunity here. You know, if you screw around for a few weeks and, and miss too many cuts, you're going to miss that first reshuffle uh, and not have as much priority going into the spring as you need 
if you really want to fill out your schedule. So there are a lot of different directions these guys are getting tugged in, which, again, is one of the reasons I love this tournament. It is like Thunderdome for the next generation of PGA Tour uh, players. Last thing I got for you is for the casual fan, maybe just kind of going out to the tournament this week, limited knowledge of the field, give them three guys, contention or not, just three guys that you they would really enjoy watching play golf in your mind. That's a great question. So the first person you ought to follow is Cameron Champ. Uh, Cameron Champ won this event last year. Uh, he is not the only guy on the PGA Tour who hits it a mile off the tee, but he is sort of the prototypical poster boy of the next generation of players who are going to hit it like that. Uh, he is going to force a reckoning with how the PGA Tour sets up its golf courses in sort of the same way Tiger Woods did uh, more than 20 years ago. Uh, and he's just freakishly long off the tee. You, you don't have to know a lot about golf to you know, to watch Cameron Champ hit at 350 yards and realize, that, yeah, that's pretty good. So follow Cameron Champ. Um, I would follow Braden Thornberry because, you know, he's an Ole Miss guy, uh, plays a very different game than Cameron Champ, but he plays quick, he's fun to watch, and he's a local boy, and... Uh, I think he's going to go on to have a really productive PGA Tour uh, career, and, and people will want to be able to say they saw him play. Uh, and the last guy I would watch is uh, Joaquin Neiman. You know, Neiman is now a top 50 player in the world. He just won at the Greenbrier last week uh, by six strokes. Uh, you know, I know I'm picking Robbie Shelton this week, but there's no reason Neiman couldn't go back-to-back and win this event, too. And as far as that goes, you mentioned Neiman and Thornberry. When we're talking about how dramatically your life can change as far as like status or how uh, the how quickly you can move up the ranks of professional golf, Thornberry beat Neiman in the U.S. Amateur, I think, in, was that 17 or 18? And then Neiman turns pro, Braden takes the number one amateur status. And so they're basically, I think, this probably isn't exactly right, but basically a year apart from when they turn pro and one's top 50 and one's kind of trying to get there. Is that a fair assessment? That sounds right. So, yeah, so that's that's interesting. Will, this was a lot of fun. I, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, one last time, just tell everyone, you can follow him at, at Will Bardwell on Twitter, and then tell everybody how they can sign up for the newsletter, read Lying 4, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah, so my, my blog, Lying 4, the address is www.lying4.com, and there's a ton of stuff you can just poke around through, but also if you don't have the energy for that, uh, sign up for the newsletter at the bottom of the homepage, and you'll get that stuff emailed to you every week or two. Will, this is great stuff. I really appreciate you. I lied to you. I kept you way longer than I told you, but I, I really appreciate your time. This was great stuff, and I'm looking forward to a good week of golf. So am I, man. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.